very nice for me to be here at Sharpham, uh, I should say back at Sharpham. I lived here about 10 years ago. I lived in the community upstairs for a couple of years and had an opportunity to be involved in these Tuesday night meetings quite often. So it's uh, not an unfamiliar situation for me to be here. Although I must say the attendance has seemed to increase <laughs> over the years, and that's really a, a very good sign that uh, so many people are interested in, in, in the kinds of things that we talk about here at Sharpham. So it's lovely that you're um, able to come and be part of this, and also to take the time in the week to meditate. Um, I think it's always a really uh, good help for us if we can take time to stop and stop all the activity that we're involved in and just look within, look within ourselves. I got involved with communication work as an outcome of my involvement with meditation. I first, uh, I started get bit being involved with the Buddhist teachings in 1979. I had the very good fortune of starting quite a while ago in California, around the San Francisco area in California. And what I noticed was that even though I was doing quite a lot of intensive practice, and at that time I was taking a lot of time for retreat as well, that it didn't seem to actually influence my speech patterns that much. But I found the action or the activity of speech was so strongly conditioned. There's such a strong, there's strong habits that had never really been looked into that I found myself experiencing difficulties over and over again through speech. And there was a particular teacher who, in the area, who was offering uh, uh, a course around communication, on com communication. So I got involved with that, and I found that it made such a profound change in my ability to communicate that I, I stayed involved with it for about five years with this particular teacher. I don't think that it would have had the impact that it had for me had I not also had my meditation practice at the same time. Because for me, communication is very much an aspect of my meditation practice. And I don't see it really as any difference. I don't see there as any division. And the more that I understand the Buddha's teachings, the more that I deeply go into what the Buddha talked about, I understand that it's, it's, it's a critical area to investigate and to look at. And the amazing thing is that we don't actually, there's not much support or there's not much input to advise us to look at our speech. It's, it's an area that we learn mostly from our parents or our uh, family influences, our social influences, our cultural influences. But there hasn't been a lot of discussion, at least there wasn't for me, around 
how my speech may be bringing about difficulties in my life and how the speech patterns may actually be causing uh, uh, pain and suffering at times. And this is very much what the Buddha, the Buddha's teachings are about. The Buddha teaches about coming to the end of the suffering, coming to the end of pain in our lives. And, and for this reason, he, when he came up with the Eightfold Path, the, the way, the way to liberation, the way to freedom, he ha of his eight categories, one of the categories is on why speech. Of the eight categories to investigate in our lives for freedom and for liberation, for coming to a place of happiness and peace in ourselves, he pointed to speech. And I've just uh, also had the good fortune of being able to take a couple of months in retreat and reading one of the major texts of the Buddha in the Pali Canon of, um, called the Majjhima Nikaya. It's 152 of the original teachings of, of the Buddha. And in looking through that book, it was really quite astonishing to me how many references the Buddha made to speech and to paying attention to how we talk and the consequences of that speech in our lives because it's through really examining the consequences of our actions that we can transform the ways that we feel pain and suffering in our lives and come to the end of that, come to a place in ourselves where we really do feel more at peace and more at ease. So for me, my, my interest and enthusiasm in working with speech and communication is primarily as a practice and it's primarily as an area in my life to investigate, to pay attention to, so that I can come to the end of any kind of difficult patterns that are interfering with me being able to feel more happiness in myself, and happiness in my relationships, and happiness in my environment, in my reality, being able to feel more at for it more at peace, moment to moment to moment. So I, I really, uh, I'm also when I, when I teach on retreats, when I teach meditation retreats, it's really quite uncanny that we don't actually get much opportunity to talk about speech. We talk so much about med the meditation techniques itself and about the deepening of wisdom in terms of how the mind works and understanding the mind and understanding the subtleties of the mind. But we don't actually have time, really, to, to go specifically into speech. So it's an area that, again, even on retreats and when we spend time with teachers and in uh, meditation retreat situations, there's still not much emphasis on speech. So it's a question of when, when do we have the opportunity or when, can we, when do we make the opportunity to really look at this area of our life. Particularly if the Buddha pointed it out to be one of the most primary areas that needs attention, that needs work. So, so I suppose 
It's one of my roles, or if anyone believes in destiny, <laughs> one of my <laughs> one of my destined roles to be one of the people who does speak about this, who who does uh, talk about ways that we can bring more aliveness, more attention, more investigation into this particular area. Because I see how critical it is and how neglected it is in our lives. It's such a vast area. It's so vast, the whole area around our speech, communication, how we talk, the consequences of our, of our speech, different models, different systems, different um, uh, skills and techniques that we can learn around speech. It's, it's just vast in itself. Mm -hmm. So tonight, what I, where I wanted to um, uh, focus, where I wanted to turn our attention, is primarily how the Buddha talks about our speech. Because I think that he very much gives us a good guideline on, on how to approach our speech. And I think that his, his map, his grid that, that he created for speech is very simple and very clear and an area that we can give some attention to tonight in a more simplified way, in a more simplified version. <coughs> the Buddha pointed to our actions, that we need to look at our actions in order to bring about change, in order to bring about transformation of our pain in our life. And our actions manifest through our speech and through body. Actions manifest through what we say and what we do, the kinds of actions that actually take place. And when we turn our attention to our speech, our actions of speech and actions of body, what we see is all of our conditioning. We see all the influences of the past that arise in any particular moment. All the influences from our family, from our cultures, from our social, political culture, from our genes, um, whatever, whatever influences from the past are there, we see them moment to moment. And in order to bring about transformation, in order to bring about change, we need to examine these actions so that we can do things differently. We're not victims of this conditioning. We're not victims of all these influences that have happened in the past, but we actually can bring about the change through investigation and through awareness, through really looking at ourselves and seeing what we're doing. When we look at our actions, one of the things that we have to understand deeply is that every one of our actions has a consequence, which means that every word that we speak, every word that comes out of our mouth has a consequence. It has an impact. It has an effect of some kind. And there are two kinds of, of actions. There's wholesome actions or actions that bring about good, that bring about happiness, that bring about harmony, and there are actions that bring about conflict and bring about tension and bring about more pain. 
And when we look at our actions, and this is moment to moment to moment, if we really take the the meditation and the medita- principles of the teachings as the center and the core of our life, then we can look at ourselves moment to moment to moment. And we can see moment to moment what are the effects of our action. And in this case, what are the effects of our speech? When I speak in a particular way, when I say things or uh, speak about things that are um, happy or positive or constructive or beneficial, the effect of that is most likely going to bring about more harmony. Maybe initially sometimes it doesn't. <laughs> you know, maybe we need to bring say something that's beneficial and it may not come across with the most uh, uh, welcomed way of, the person may not receive it very well. But we have the intention of wanting to bring about harmony. We have the intention of wanting to to bring about good and connection with our relationships. If I say something that is unwholesome or negative or destructive or harmful, the effect of that is probably almost immediately going to be very unsatisfactory, sometimes painful, sometimes hurtful for both myself and the other person. So we can see instantly, there's like instant consequences, instant uh, feedback as to the effect of our speech patterns and how this happens. When we look closely, we look more closely at this, before the action actually manifests either through speech or through body, first there arises a thought in the mind. If we pay attention carefully, we can get in touch with the dialogue, the inner dialogue, the thought patterns that are going on in the mind before we actually act. Before we say before we say something through the speech or through or before we act before the body moves in some way, we can usually track a thought. And if we're able to catch this thought, if we're able to catch it in the mind before it actually manifests in reality, we can save ourselves from a lot of very painful consequences. We can track whether what we're about to do is going to bring about a wholesome consequence or whether it's going to bring about something unwholesome, whether it's going to bring about something positive or constructive, or whether it's going to bring about more tension, conflict, and difficulty. What the practice, what the meditation helps us see and helps us wake up to is that we can actually turn reflection back to ourselves moment to moment and we can stop (laughs) we can actually stop the movement of some action right in the moment that we don't have to be we don't have to just follow through with our conditioned patterns we don't have to just follow through kind of automatically or habitually with our with our conditioned patterns 
that if we do use some awareness, if we if we are able to uh, wake up the mind, and this is this is what we're trying to do when we sit. We're trying to brighten the mind, to wake up the mind so that we can see ourselves more clearly, more we can understand ourselves more fully. If we can see what's happening at the inner dialogue, we can bring about this change for a more positive, for a more wholesome reality. We can change our reality right in the moment. And sometimes it's actually necessary. I've, I've even caught myself starting to say something, having half the sentence out, and knowing that if I keep going with that sentence, I'm, going to, I'm walking down a road that I don't think I really want to walk down. If I keep going that way, I'm just going to create more and more difficulty for myself. And then I've noticed times when I'm saying something, and I'm, you know, as I pay attention to it, and as I turn the awareness to it, I say, it's okay, this is, this feels right, it feels positive, it feels constructive, and it can allow me to keep going, to keep going with it. When we use awareness itself, awareness, that factor of mind, that factor of mind that each of us has, it's our birthright, it's our, it's our experience. When we use this awareness, the awareness itself has the factor of being able to discriminate. Awareness has the wisdom of discrimination. It's called wise discrimination. And in any moment, we can discriminate whether something feels right and feels positive and, and useful or whether it doesn't. And if we can access that awareness, access that discrimination, we can, we can stop something right in the moment, depending on how connected we are, how, um, how in touch we are with our own experience. And as we practice, we get more and more connected. Less and less is, is hidden, less is concealed from our consciousness. And more and more can be brought up into view so that we can affect our experience more of the time. Very powerful tool that we have, this power of awareness itself. When we pay attention in this way, it also gives us some space. It's, it's, it can... The, the awareness is a spacious quality of mind so that we can see more clearly our experience and we can perhaps slow down, go a little bit slower rather than rushing into things that we say and we do. When we pay attention, it helps us to slow down. Slowing down is a very useful <laughs> tool as well, not to rush so quickly into our usual habituated ways of being. So to be, to be, to be more aware of what's happening at the eternal, in the internal dialogue and to slow down a bit so that we can pay attention to what we're saying and how we're acting and before it actually manifests in, in consequences. This is the way we can have a little bit more control. We don't have to just be victim to everything that happens to us. One of the areas that I find is very useful to pay attention to, to bring awareness to, is the whole area around 
motivation, which is also sometimes called intention, our intentions to act in a particular way, our motivations. What I've been talking about is primarily the area around motivation. What is actually motivating motivating me in any particular moment to say the things that I'm saying or to do the things that I'm doing? Right now, if I were to check in with my motivation, and there's a motivation in every moment, we can always find what our motivations are in every moment. If I were to check in right now with my motivation, my motivation is to help you understand a little bit more of how I understand communication and the importance of speech so that it may be able to bring about more harmony and uh, peace in your lives. That's, that's what's motivating me right now. That's what's inspiring me so that you may be able to feel happier and more at peace in your lives. And also that I can learn, my motivation is so that I can get more clear and learn more about how this all fits together. Because each time I talk about it, I get more and more clarity. So it really serves me as well. It's a mutual benefit that's happening here. And I find that when I take the time to check in with my motivation, this can help to determine whether I want to keep going in the direction I'm going in or not. And when I was doing this, when I was doing the training, I fi- my memory is that I actually spent about two years taking that on as a practice. That before I said anything, before there was any words that left my mouth, I would track what my motivation was for saying what it was that I was saying to be sure that my motivation was useful and constructive. And and I'll just say that I found out some fascinating things about myself when I was doing that as a practice. And it wasn't always something that was very pleasing to find out. I mean, sometimes I found out much to my surprise, that my motivation was actually to be hurtful and to create pain for the person that I was speaking to, and it was usually my husband. (laughs) (laughs) That that what I wanted was for him to, to hurt, because I felt hurt by him at times. And when I would see that in myself, I, I, and understanding how that fit into the context of the, of the Buddhist teachings, I realized that that was not the solution for bringing about more peace in myself or in the relationship. That I was not going to heal uh, anger and fear with more anger and fear. That that wasn't what was going to bring about the healing that in fact the healing was going to come about through more love and connection. And so I really did learn a great deal by paying attention to what that intention was, what was that motivation for what I'm saying right now. And sometimes it required actually having to pay attention while the words were coming out. 
to be that to guard my speech and to guard my mind to that extent so that I was just tracking moment to moment to moment to be sure that my conditioning, my pattern wasn't veering me off into anger and fear in any particular moment. But could I stay that connected with myself and that true to my own higher intention to bring more love and connection in that relationship or any other relationship that I was involved in. It was a great deal of learning that came about just through this particular, this particular area. And there's so many, again, there's so many different areas to pay attention to when it comes to speech. But this particular area around intention. In the Buddha's teachings, he gives a great deal of emphasis to the area of intentionality. What is our intention in any given moment? And the reason he gives so much emphasis to it is because this is what gives rise to pain and suffering when we don't see it. And it's what gives rise to joy and happiness in our lives. It's the very thing that can bring about the transformation. So it's really the question I would ask myself when I was using this, when I was paying attention to intention and motivation, I would just say to myself, what is the reason I'm speaking right now? Why, why am I saying what I'm saying right now? What, what's going on for me that I need to say this right now? And it usually is one of two things, very simply. It ha either has to do with wanting to accomplish a task, that I, there's something that I need to get done, and I need some information on how to get that task done. I need to uh, find out how to get to Torquay. <laughs> I'm driving to Torquay tomorrow or to, to Newton Abbott, and I need to get the directions for how to get there. It's incredible how much of our speech <laughs> is around just how to get from A to B, or how to do A to B. And getting information for how to, how to do that, how to understand that. So sometimes the, the reason I'm speaking is simply to get this kind of information. Yeah? And you can see that, you can track that in any given moment. Or, the reason that I'm speaking has something to do with some kind of emotional need something that I, well, I call emotional need. It has to do with wanting connection, or wanting friendship, or wanting to be understood, wanting to be listened to, having something going on inside that I want somebody to be with me with, to share that experience, to ha have a feeling of love, of connection, of understanding and sharing in that place together. And so much of our communication, even if we just say hello to somebody, is because we want to feel connected with that person, or we want some sense of friendship with that person. Very lovely, it's a very lovely motivation. And so much of it, so much of our speech arises around that. 
So we can look, we can look and see, is our speech arising out of the motivation for more happiness, or is it rising out of conflict? And you can also ask this question when you say, what is the reason I'm speaking right now? And as you pay attention to the words that are coming out, is this speech arising out of the desire for more happiness and more harmony? Or is this arising out of the desire for more conflict? It's something that can easily be seen. It's just something very, very simple for us. In the the teachings of the Buddha that I was referring to, the the teachings that I was reading uh, last fall in the Majjhima Nikaya, in one of the suttas, the suttas is the suttas is a Pali word for dis, the discourse, the lecture that the Buddha gave. And in one particular discourse, sutta that the Buddha gave, he goes quite in depth into what he calls the four kinds of wrong speech. And in looking at motivation and looking at intention for speech, these are the four areas that he said to to pay particular close attention to. And the first one that he spoke about was the area of what he called intentional lying. The area around intentional lying. And, And it's it's different than unintentional. And sometimes we may say something that isn't truthful, but we don't know that we're doing it. And he makes a very clear distinction that it's an intentional use of speech in order to gain something for oneself. Something, speech that is for one's own end, something that I'm going to get for myself. Or perhaps speech that I aid in somebody else getting something for their <laughs> end. No. But a way that I use the language that is, is false. It's a lie. And 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 sometimes we can find that maybe maybe we're not doing it so maliciously, but maybe there's a way we're just exaggerating a little bit. You could just notice that sometimes the way that you use speech may just be just a little exaggeration of the truth in order to get something that you want for yourself. You know, just shading the truth in in different ways. (coughs) This is an area that we may need to give some attention to so that we stay connected to our integrity and the truth of things. For each one of these four kinds of speech, he also said what he, what he calls it the noble one, how the noble one would use speech in this way. And a noble one is one who is on the spiritual path, one who has taken uh, uh, the principles of the teachings as a focus in their life. He calls them the noble one. And the noble one will say what is truthful and useful. 
And this is an important key point. It's not just what's truthful. And I was quite interested that the Buddha in the sutras uh, actually made this point, that it's not just saying what is truthful because there's a lot of things that we might want to say to somebody that's the truth, but in fact it may not be useful. And it actually might be quite destructive, might hurtful. So he says not only to say what is true, but also to say what is useful. I think it's another important area that can be looked at and can be investigated, is how we we even use the truth, how we communicate the truth of things to people. Again, what's the intention? Where is it? Is it because we do want we want to bring more harmony in that relationship? The Buddha said not even to make a joke. I thought this was quite interesting as well. He said, not even to make a joke if it has a shade of a untruth in it. Uh, that's, that's an interesting one to reflect on. <laughs> because humor is often used as, a, as an indirect communication. We often w- use humor as a way to say things that we might not otherwise be able to say. He said, not even that if it has some element of untruth or, or unwholesome in it not to even use a joke. The second kind of wrong speech the Buddha points to is what's called gossip. And in the teachings, he has a much more general definition. He basically says that gossip is anything that is not fact, anything that we don't know as a fact. And that's another good one to look at because oftentimes we say things because we heard about it. We heard it from somebody else. We're not really sure whether it's true or not, but it's it's juicy. You know, it's good. It's you know, it's uh, something we get excited to talk about, but we don't know whether it's true. So the the, the definition for gossip in the in these teachings is if it's not a fact. Hmm? And then it all, he also goes on to say gossip is something that we talk about at the wrong time, speech that is worthless, unreasonable, immoderate, and unbeneficial. <laughs> no. It's worthless, unreasonable, immoderate, and unbeneficial. He says that a noble one says what is factual, what is beneficial, and what is reasonable, and at the right time. <laughs> Interesting how, how often we want to say things to people, but it's not the right time. It's just not the right time. The person is too preoccupied, or they uh, aren't really listening. Um, just not the right time. So another reflection. And I've been noticing, since I read this in the teachings as, a, as an imp- a point, I've been noticing for myself when the actual timing of when I want to say things to people. So that I ask myself, is this the right time for me to deliver this information? Is this the time it's going to be heard the, uh, the, the, the best? Another r- area to, to pay, pay attention to. The third area is what's called malicious speech. 
And the fourth is harsh speech. And the Buddha makes a distinction between malicious speech and harsh speech. Malicious speech is speech that intentionally is used to create some kind of division, to create some kind of disharmony between a person, between people or a group of people. And and then the, and the, and the person delights in that. The person feels happy that they've created this division, they've created this disharmony in this community or whatever. And interesting that the, this, is pick, this was pointed out because at the time of the Buddha, one of the main uh, things that the Buddha created was the, what's called the Sangha or the community of like-minded people, the community of practitioners, people who were dedicated to the teachings of the Buddha. And at the time, there were a lot of other religious uh, groups and religious, religious sects and a lot of religious leaders. <laughs> and so when I reflect on this, I think that one of the things that happened was that there were people who were actually trying to create division in the community, create division in the different sects and the different groups. And so um, this was pointed out as a, an area of wrong speech, not to any kind of speech that's going to bring about disharmony in any way. The noble one, the noble one I can see, reunites those who are divided, is a promoter of friendship, and delights in harmony. One who actually promotes friendship and harmony and delights in that harmony. When I was reading those words, when I, w when I was making these notes and writing those words, even those words just brought a, a lightness to my heart. When I wrote, promoter, promoter of friendship, what a good feeling to be somebody who is identified as somebody who has that kind of goodwill in their heart that goes around actually promoting harmony and friendship for others. A beautiful motive, a beautiful motive of heart and mind. The last one of harsh speech is a more difficult area. Harsh, harsh speech is defined as words that are rough, hurtful to others, offensive, and angry. And when I find myself reflecting on this one, this is a hard one because the conditioning is very strong for all of us. Those patterns and conditioning of what gives rise to anger in ourselves. And the, the real work that it takes to bring about some kind of transformation of anger in ourselves is very difficult. And so this is not an, this is not one to be particularly glib about, because the conditioning is so strong for us. It's not something we can say, okay, yep, I won't do that one. I won't I won't <coughs> be harsh in my speech. I won't be angry. You know, when anger arises, I'll just stop it. I'll just cut it. No, it doesn't work that way. Anger anger has a lot of force 
It has a lot of energy. And for that reason, it can be very destructive. It can be very harmful. So for this reason, we have to pay even closer attention to the arising of anger in ourselves. And the anger that gives rise to hurtful speech and hurtful actions because it can also arise not only through our words, but also through bodily action, depending on the force of that energy, the force of that negativity in ourselves. So when this energy arises in us, that we want to say things or do things that we know are going to have difficult consequences. What seems helpful, the first thing that we can do for ourselves is actually turn the attention inward to feel that energy in ourselves and to ask ourselves, if we can, if we can take the time, what is it about this situation right now that I'm getting hooked? How am I getting caught? How am I getting drawn into this? Because so often what we do is we project the blame and the problem out to the other person or to the situation. The problem is out there, and if only that problem would go away, if only that person would go away, if only that situation would go away, I'd be all right. You know, I'd be happy. But what we don't really see so often is that that anger is arising within us through our own conditioning, through our own past influences, and that we're the ones getting hooked. We're the ones getting caught. And so what we need to do is really turn the awareness back in on ourselves and say, what's happening right now that I'm getting caught? What is it about this situation? And as much as we can, to see if we cannot act out of that place of anger. To see if we can actually even say to the person that we're involved in at that time, right now isn't a good time for me to continue this conversation. I need to take some space. I need to take a break. Because when we communicate, when we act out of a place where we're heated, where we're tense, where we're contracted, there's not much clarity. We can't rely on any wisdom, really, in our own minds. Sometimes we may feel angry, and we have the clarity. We have the wisdom. And sometimes we may just need to express something quite directly, quite firmly, quite strongly. And in those moments, maybe we don't need to call it anger. Maybe it's helpful to call anger something that is negative and destructive. Because one of the confusions that comes up a lot is some people say, well, it's important for me to express my anger. And what I would say that it's important for us to be direct, to be straight, to be firm, particularly in the face of wrongdoing or inappropriate action or something that is uh, confused. Sometimes we need to communicate what's going on around that. But it's constructive, it's wholesome, it's positive. We're not doing it in order to hurt, to bring harm, to bring disconnection and disharmony. It's a whole area, a whole other area of examination, a huge area. 
And we can't practice the difficult ones. We can't practice the difficult aspects of communication when, when it's very intense. We really need to practice the difficult ones when it, there's a little, <laughs> when it's not so heated, when it's not so <coughs> difficult. We really need to have the willingness to bring about change. All of these changes of the, our conditioning, of the habits, of our patterns in our life, they don't change by themselves. It seems that we do need to bring that, that connection with our own heart and that wish for our own happiness and well-being. We have to really make contact with that wish for ourselves. <laughs> which then can bring energy to bring transformation in our lives. It does seem to take a certain amount of effort and attention. Otherwise, these habits of our, of our past, they just can overwhelm, they can take over our consciousness. They take over our mind and our body, our speech. We can see that. We see how easily we can get caught how easily we get lost. You, could, you probably could see it even in the half an hour that we spent here in the meditation. The habits of the mind, the, the force of the mind, how it just comes in and grips consciousness. It <coughs> takes over and we get lost. We just, we don't even know where we are anymore. You know, we disappear from ourselves. And unless we have some intention to reconnect, to make that connection again and again, to discover what is going on in the mind, what is going on in the body, what is our motivation for our actions, what, what, how do we really feel about our transformation in our life? Unless this wakes up in ourselves, I don't know. I don't know what's really going to happen for us as individuals. It seems that this is really one of the necessary attributes as we, as we walk the path. So it means that we do need to, if we're interested in bringing some change to our speech patterns, that we do need to take it on as a, a kind of a practice, something that we give attention to. And particularly with communication, with, with, with speech, it seems that as we take that on as a practice, it also means that we may have to take some risks. Because if we're going to change the way that we're speaking, change some of the habits of the way that we know, that we may have to do things differently. <laughs> we may have to say some things that we find aren't so easy to say. You know, whether it's uh, expressing a way that we feel inside to somebody. Maybe, maybe first we need to express it to ourselves. Sometimes the first thing we need to do is to, to acknowledge the truth of our feelings to ourselves. To come to some kind of acceptance with the way that we're feeling in ourselves and then be able to express it to somebody else. And that sometimes takes a risk. It, it feels like a risk. To say something that, you know, when we're feeling particularly vulnerable, or it may be something that's, we're quite, uh, something that 
we feel quite intimate about or quite personal about. Just say something that is difficult. It doesn't have to be an expression of anger or dislike or negativity, but it can even be just tell somebody that I love you. You know, just to say I love you. How how hard that can be sometimes. The risk that can 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 it can feel like inside. You know, these 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 kinds of really accessing that that kind of um, intimate and personal feeling, and then expressing it to another being. It can be a very very beautiful moment when we really allow ourselves to say something that has been very difficult, especially when it's an expression of love and appreciation. I thought that maybe just to finish, just to, as a way of closing, that maybe just as an exercise, um, one, of the, one of the things that people appreciate a lot is to be appreciated. Uh, an expression of appreciation. And sometimes we may need a little um, support to remember how important it is to express appreciation to somebody. Because we can take things for granted. We can easily take things that people do or people say or how people are. We can take it for granted. And so I thought maybe just as an exercise, we can take a few moments just to, to practice appreciation, expressing appreciation. And we can, uh, maybe we'll just do this quietly, just um, to make it not too big of a risk. <laughs> but we'll just do this within ourselves. So just to take a moment and to think about one thing that you appreciate yourself for. We'll start with ourselves. Just to think of one thing that you appreciate yourself for. And to tell yourself, I appreciate myself for this. And if you think of more than one, allow that to come. (laughs) Maybe you'll get a flood of appreciation for yourself. (laughs) Maybe it's one thing you did today, or something that you particularly enjoy about yourself. And hopefully you can think of something. (laughs) And then let's turn it towards another person. 
think of another person, one other person, who you would like to feel some appreciation for. And think of something that you appreciate about this person. Either something they have said, something they have done, something about their being. And tell this person, I appreciate you for this. And I would like to encourage you, maybe tonight or tomorrow, is to tell somebody during the day something you appreciate about them. Just take that on as a very simple practice. Just one time. It's just, it's, it, you will immediately receive the gift <laughs> right back you will be the one not the only one but you will receive the gift as much as the person that you're giving it to such is the way of wholesome actions in our life we get instant feedback instant gratification for those actions So, if, if you would like, we could take some minutes for any discussion. Before anybody says anything, I would just like to say that I'm not an expert in communication. <laughs> I find that it's just too, the more that I learn about it, the more I realize how vast and complex the field is. So, um, I'll just put that out as a preface for any difficult questions anybody might ask me. <laughs> But if anybody has any uh, anything they'd like to comment on, any anything they'd like to say about their own experience, their own relationship to speech or communication, that's fine. I'd be happy to hear anything anybody has to say. Has anybody else taken this on as something they've looked at in their lives? I'd be curious to know if uh, what kind of success you've had with it. Or 
problem, any difficulties or <coughs> gratification. Well, what about uh, nervous speech? You, you meet somebody in the street or for the first time, you find yourself uh, rambling on, uh, <laughs> and then you remember what you said and you sort of hate yourself for saying it. Mm -hmm. There's a sort of period of uh, insecurity yeah. when you come out with something. <coughs> Yeah. Uh, and there really isn't time for reflection. Right, right, right. So at the time of this, when, when you actually find yourself in it, you're just <coughs> caught in that, that habit, that particular habit. In this case, a, a habit of um, just rambling on out of nervousness. And then in ref when you, you don't have time for reflection in the moment, but then afterwards you have time for reflection. And then what you said was that you find yourself judging yourself hating yourself. Huh? And I would say that that's the time for um, the possibility for transformation. <coughs> right in that internal dialogue. Because what's happening in that moment is the communication with yourself. Hmm? And, and if it's possible to actually bring about the principles of communication to the very dialogue that's happening in your own mind, then transformation can happen. And in this case, talking to, talking to yourself in a more loving way. <laughs> Anytime that we catch ourselves talking to ourselves in a way that's negative or, or hateful or cruel, if we can catch that in a moment, that's the possibility for transformation. To, in that moment, turn that <coughs> communication around and say, oh, right now I've been talking to myself in a way that hasn't been very kind. I want to be able to be more kind to myself. I want to speak to myself in a kinder way. That, it, the, more that the more that you can do that, it's, it doesn't matter so much what happened in that, in that transaction. Because that's done. It's past. It's over with. You know, all you can do is, is say that next time I meet somebody, I may, I'm going to see if I can maybe not ramble so much, you know. But the important thing in that is the way that you look at it afterwards when you do bring the reflection to it. So that you do start to reinforce and cultivate a more loving attitude, which then will get trans transferred out to other beings, other people. Wouldn't it be embarrassing for you, sort of transforming quality as well? Just feeling that sort of you know, anxiety and uh, angst about what you said or what you, how you might have sounded. Isn't that sort of transforming as well? It's if you, use, if you look at it in a constructive way. <coughs> if that is looked at in a constructive, a constructive way and saying, now how can I do this differently? It can be transforming. But if it's looked at in a destructive way, it just reinforces that pattern. There's, there's no way of overcoming that pattern if it's looked at in a negative way. One just stays locked into it, it and then it just will keep, re, keep overwhelming consciousness again and again and again. The only way to transform is to look at it in, in a constructive way, which is a loving way. Bringing more, more love to that reflection. Anytime there's reflection of our actions and it's done with um, ill will, what we're doing is reinforcing ill will. We're reinforcing fear and negativity in the mind. So that has to be seen. I'm really glad you brought up that point. It's a very, very important point. 
And, and, and particularly in everything that I've been saying, not only does this apply to the external dialogues, the dialogues that, that take place with other people, but take place, the communication that takes place within our own minds, which is constant. <laughs> How we talk to ourselves in our own minds. But with that, with the process of our lives, you know, year after year, in that transformation, in that development of kindness for ourselves, when the negativity arises and we use that and, and transform it, when are we not repressing? If these negative, if this negative energy or this negativity, after maintaining a sense of kindness to ourselves, to others, and then inside you're feeling whatever you're feeling, which isn't always great. Mm -hmm. As we transform that, as we create, may I be well, or feel goodness for ourselves, there's other things that are happening. Is there a sense of like pushing it down? Mm -hmm. You know, like you're being positive, you're being kind. You're being <laughs> it's like the next thing you want to scream. <laughs> it's like. You know, Yes, 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 well, well, hopefully, I mean, repression, to me, indicates um, pushing it out of consciousness, and repression also indicates fear. It's a fear of seeing those, those, those uh, uh, aspects in oneself. So, therefore, it would build up more pressure, and one would want to scream. So the more that I'm pushing and concealing from consciousness, it's going to, it's, you're right, it's going to build pressure. So hopefully that isn't the, the way we do it. We don't repress it, we don't push it away out of fear, but it's actually a, a, a process that we look at fully in consciousness. We see there are certain aspects in ourselves that if I do express anger right now, then I'm actually going to cause more, more difficulty. So it's, it's what I call wise restraint. So when those things are there, it's allowing it to arise and developing the compassion. That's right. Or, or, or caring. That's right. <coughs> Seeing all that negativity or whatever. Not hiding anything from consciousness, not repressing anything from consciousness, but taking what we see and working with it as, as like, a, like clay or like a fodder, mm? allowing it to, to be the material for our transformation. Yeah, and, and, and sometimes using wise restraint. It's restraint, and in, 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 it's not repression, but restraint that comes out of wisdom. It comes out of clarity and wisdom for the greater good. And then we restrain it. But we do it consciously, not unconsciously, out of fear. Yeah, good point. <laughs>